Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and today we're going to be talking about a couple of super interesting things. One, the reopening of Pirates of the Caribbean, and then two, interesting D23 schedule that came out and what that means for Galaxy's Edge. Let's jump in really quick by introducing our own pirate slash stormtrooper, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm picturing the paunchy pirate, the one who's too pooped to chase the women. <laughs> Arr, bring me food. <laughs> There's a tricky leg joke in there somewhere as well. Jim, Pirates of the Caribbean reopened last week. As we all know, the auction scene got redone to remove the implication that women were being sold into sex slavery in the Caribbean. Right. So this was a, a scene that had been talked about for a very long time. Obviously, auctioning off women and sex trafficking is bad. The new scene is the same sort of setup, but instead of women being auctioned, it's poultry, chickens more specifically, being auctioned. Well, there's nothing wrong with people becoming, I guess uh, vegans could be offended by this. (laughs) Well, there we go. There's there's always someone. (laughs) No, no, that's the redo for 2020, Len. So the uh, the old dialogue included phrases like "What be I offered for this winsome wench?" when they were mm-hmm. stout-hearted and corn-fed she be or whatever. The new one is "What be I offered for these hearty ends?" And again, there are implications that there are chickens there. Yeah, here's my problem. If I'm counting correctly, this is between the version that Bob Baranek and his group did for, for Disneyland. They went from chasing mm-hmm. the women to the women chasing the men because they'd stolen the food and they'd stolen the jewels and that sort of right. thing. And that was, that was sort of the first change Bob Sellinger referred to as the dose of political correctness. I'm not saying I, I agree there with we that. Go. But when was that? That was late 90s, early 2000s? want to say 94, 95. And then we jump ahead another seven years and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl has come out and suddenly Disney's got a film franchise based on the attraction. So more people are riding the ride. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so with Dead Man's Chest and they actually fold the Johnny Depp character in at that point. And in a weird sort of way, we're lucky that we didn't get where Johnny wanted to have the AA figure come in because his gag was he rode the the thing with the Imagineers and wouldn't it be cool is as you're looking at the auction scene, the dress of the redhead lifted up and Captain Jack Sparrow peeked out under that, that he he was hiding under her dress. So they would have had to redone... (laughs) This whole oh. scene. I'm thinking the only thing that could make that worse is a Harvey Weinstein uh, cameo. <laughs> like, like, like if he's in one of the windows above that, that would have been not good. Yeah. So now to be here, let me just state this for the record. I am getting so tired of the Imagineers plussing Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion. There are other rides that need attention, that need updating, that need love. And the fact that so many of the Imagineers, when they grew up, their favorite rides were Pirates and Haunted Mansions. So they're always inventing reasons to go back in and yeah. fix what doesn't need to be fixed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the animation of the new Redhead. I think they've done a decent job. I'm trying to get confirmed that the face on that AA figure is actually the Maureen. Oh, Jane from a uh, great movie ride. Yeah. Yes, Marino oh, God, Sullivan. that's so funny. It looks exactly like her. It does, but this is a so much more sophisticated AA figure than the Jane figure in that attraction. So it's highly unlikely that it's the same fate. But again, I'm, I'm making queries, folks, and if we find out, I'll get back to you. But uh, it's just okay. 
you've made this change and the same change is coming to Disneyland. And mm-hmm. as I understand it, it will also be folded into the Disneyland Paris version of the ride. It's like, okay, we're now done. Don't touch this attraction for a, a good 25 years. Go find some other stuff in the parks to work on. Is that actually a Disney edict to the Imagineers or is it something that you want to see happen? I want it to happen. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's one of these things when you look at the parks and you look at so many other shows of that era that yeah. could use some love. And no, it's it's always, ooh, let's go plus Pirates again. Let's go plus yeah. Mansion again. And it just seems like... These attractions are becoming the Winchester Mystery House. It's like, well, we need, <laughs> you know, equivalent of themed entertainment. We need a new room. Okay, you know, they keep building. And it's like, oh. Yeah, go work on something else. I get it. There's so many more rides that need attention. I wonder if it's that it's just easier to get uh, budgets approved for very popular rides than it is to get something approved for a ride that isn't that popular. Like, it's got to be easier for somebody to approve an update to Pirates of the Caribbean than it is to update Buzz Lightyear, I'm thinking. Though I will say that there was one update that they came within inches of doing that would have been truly cool that they did not do, and this was Pirates of the Caribbean. You know when you go through Pirates of the Caribbean and you see two, three, four boats just sort of backed up? That's the storage area where they keep the boats. Yep. So you have a maintenance bay. You have a section there. And one of the Imagineers noticed once, like, wait a minute, the maintenance bay goes all the way through the building. And that's how you can pull boats off just past the treasure scene or off the load area. Mm-hmm. And Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl had just come out and they had that cold conceit of when the moon rises, the pirates who were cursed become skeletons. Skeletons, right. And he was like, wait a minute. He goes in, he measures all of the maintenance bay areas and and sees that really there's a lot of space to actually do show scenes back here. And what he pitches to Disney management actually does, does full boards and shows the people in Anaheim that at sundown every day at Disneyland, Pirates of the Caribbean stops operating for a half hour so they can basically switch the track to going into the maintenance bay where now there are all these scenes where you get to see the scary skeleton pirates from Curse of the Black Pearl. And this is the first place they designed the Jack Sparrow AA figure to go in. And it was much like what happened with Guardians of the Galaxy, Monsters After Dark. There was a version of the ride that you only got to experience after the sun went down. And that's where that idea came from. And 15, 20 years later, hey, we circle back on it. We get it for Guardians. But that one I would have been okay with them doing. It's this, well, let's go in and put the Trident in from Stranger Tides. Because, of course, you know, we're all... We all remember that one. We all, yeah, (laughs) that's it exactly. The thing that I don't get about the Pirates ride is that basically the entire ride is offensive. Why pick that one scene? So, I mean, I get it. Sex trafficking is bad, right? But the rest of the ride is basically a river cruise through the seven deadly sins where you break the Ten Commandments during your shore excursions. I mean, there are scenes that show torture, assault, theft, arson, well, there's witchcraft, no, it, it, there's, there's heathen gods. You have the accidental song and we loot. We pillage. We yeah. pillage. And it's just sort of like, I, in fact, I would lay <laughs> money down that within 10 years... Disney, for some reason, decides, well, you know, I mean, we fixed the scenes, but now that song, boy. Because remember, Disney is the company that actually 
went into Aladdin and changed the, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face line from the original theatrical uh, release of that movie. Now if you see that movie, the line that's in the place of cutting off the hand is where it's flat and immense and it's the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Yeah, okay, I get it. I bet you in our lifetime, we're going to see them go in there and it's like we knit, we pearl, we, <laughs> we recycle. No, raping, pillaging. Those were the old pirates. We're the ones who brush and floss. <laughs> Look, we're pirates, but yes, but we're responsible pirates. The other thing that I, I think that they, they didn't get through on the uh, ride is, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to the, the torture, the assault, the theft, and the arson, I, yeah. there's this implication of bestiality in it. I mean, I'm just saying, like, some of those pirates and pigs make quite the cute couple. <laughs> there we go. All right, Jim, let's take a, a quick break, and then we'll be back. We'll talk about D23. How's that sound? All right, James, speaking of things that are uh, recently opening or that have been announced for opening, D23 was recently announced for Anaheim for August 23rd to 25th, 2019. And we got uh, a couple of questions about that as soon as the dates were announced. Do you think the timing of this event, which is, I think, the second latest it's ever been, says anything about the opening dates for Galaxy's Edge? Well, I actually reached out to the folks at D23 as soon as they announced the dates, and I was asking, because remember last time around when they did D23 in 2017? Yep, July 14th to the 16th. Right. Comic-Con that year was held down in San Diego the 19th through the 22nd, and there were a lot of us who work the entertainment pop culture beat who looked at that and went, wait a minute, is Disney trying to be the opening act for Comic-Con now? Because it kind of made sense. I mean, when Comic-Con is running, you get this endless series of press releases and people announcing movies and TV shows and that sort of thing. And with the world press coming to town anyway, you know, it kind of made sense. Well, well, D23 is before that. Disney gets to jump on everybody else. Yeah. So when they announced this new date, August of 23rd and 25th of 2019, it's like, that's interesting because that's going back to the old pattern. If you look at, for example, 2013, D23 ran from August 9th to the 11th. If you look mm-hmm. at 2011, it ran from the 19th to the 21st. And those were right. both the third weekends of August as well. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, what's the deal with the third weekend? And, and why did you guys abandon the pre-Comic-Con weekend? And first of all, they were like, Comic-Con? Never heard of this thing. Yeah, and it's just sort of like, what happened was that we conferred with the parks with the city of Anaheim and the convention center. And again, looking for the dates. And the thing about D23 is that especially now that they like to bring objects of size down, that they really need a couple of days to do setup. Oh, okay. These were the days that there wasn't a show there that we could get at the elephant doors and bring in. I mean, for example, the D23 for 2017, they brought the one inch to one foot model of the Black Pearl in, which is almost 15, 16 feet tall that they had to get through all sorts of doors down there. So if you parse that language carefully to the effect of we spoke with the city and we spoke with the park, I can't help but look at the late August date just when crowds in theory are supposed to die down. And 
Exactly. All of the, the concerns that are out there about Galaxy's Edge, you're going to have 60,000 of Disney's most dedicated fans turn out for this event. And just coincidentally, the park's opened its most state-of-the-art, wow, you got to see this land in, in the history of the parks. It's like, yeah, maybe we might want to push this as down as far as August as we can get. That's what I think. I think. So there, do you think that Disneyland is still targeting a July opening for? I am hearing that they want to start doing soft openings, but supposedly they will be extent starting in the late winter, early spring of 2019. They will be reaching out to set numbers of annual pass holders, which the notion of, would you like to be among the first two? And this is the phrase, folks test Galaxy's Edge. That doesn't mean the entire land is going to be open. That doesn't all right. mean all of the attractions will be running. They are so concerned about guest flow and people queuing oh, yeah. up. And they'll start with, say, a couple hundred annual pass holders. They'll build up the numbers, and but it'll be invitation only. You have to have the proper paperwork. You have to have the name on the list. And supposedly there will be upwards of six weeks of previews before they finally open. So we could be getting people in to see, say, the Grand Marketplace area as early as mid-May. On the other hand, just to caution here, Galaxy's Edge could open and, you know, we might be in a situation where maybe the Falcon ride is open, but not necessarily the escape from the Rebellion. Mm -hmm. So... Just be aware, a lot of moving parts, this project is still very much under construction and they are so concerned about how they handle crowds and how people will do this differently than previous Disney theme park lands. They've got to be more concerned about it in Disneyland than in Hollywood Studios in Florida because in Disneyland, the way that they're positioning it in the far back edge of the park of Disneyland, you've got to go through what, Critter Country? or that Fantasyland, Frontierland walkway. It's basically the back upper left corner of the park, right? Yeah. That guest flow has to be the thing that concerns them. People have been trained forever that there is no place to go once you get back to Critter Country. Yeah, you have to turn around and, yeah. So this is the first time you've been able to continue through there. When you think about it, there are actually three entrances. You have the, the Critter Country entrance, you have the mm -hmm. mid Big Thunder Pass entrance midway Fr through. Frontierland, yeah. And then you have the one that's just basically past the, where you transition from Fantasyland into Frontierland. Yeah, past the Casey Jr. Uh, circus train and uh, Pinocchio Village House. The weird thing is they're already discussing, should we suggest a path? I mean, for example, the Alcatraz attraction. That one, the best way to get immediate access to that and to the, the X-Wing BB-8 experience is through the Critter Country gate. If, on the other hand, you're somebody who's looking to shop, you probably want to go in through the Big Thunder Pass, the central gateway, whereas if you want to do the Millennium Falcon, that's the Fantasyland entrance. And the problem is when you come through the Fantasyland entrance, this is also where they're going to do the Kylo Ren Stormtrooper stunt show on the rooftop. So That's a lot of uh, bottlenecks, yeah. And just trying to figure out how to construct a guest guide. Glenn, I'm going to just say this flat out. You've got your hands full working on the unofficial yeah. guide for Disneyland about suggesting which 
watering plan for this might be because this is a lot of very new stuff Disney's trying to do. And it's filled with all of these dogleg back alleys where the whole point is to discover this part of Star Wars rather than get online here, go down there, get yourself yeah. a citrus world. The interesting thing is that Disney's been breadcrumbing the info. In fact, did you hear earlier this week that if you really want to get some advanced information about two, they're telling you that you need to pick a, a copy of a Star Wars book that's coming out in July? No, I didn't hear this. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, it's called Thrawn Alliances. And for those of you who know about Grand Admiral Thrawn, you know, he was blue-skinned, red-eyed, ultimate villain in the, in the Star Wars uh, universe. There's a, a Timothy Zahn book that comes out this summer through Delray Press. You can go right now to the StarWars.com website, and they have an excerpt from the book where basically the Emperor is talking to Darth Vader and Grand Admiral Thrawn about, you know, there's been a disturbance in the Force. It's the, the very edge of wild space. It's a, this planet for, called Batu. I need the both of you to go there and check this out. <laughs> there's a tie-in. Yeah, the book has scenes that are set <laughs> on Batu. So for, for those of us who are every week, Disney throws us a new breadcrumb. It's like, hey, look, this, you know, and it would, you know, you're trying slowly to assemble the entire loaf of bread. If you want more information about what Galaxy's Edge will entail, the layout of the land, go to Amazon right now and get yourself lined up a copy of Thrawn Alliances. And the, the, hopefully that will give us a little more information about, A, how the marketplace is laid out, the mythology, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. I'm moderately surprised, James, that they didn't include a scene in there where they visit a restaurant and describe in intricate detail what each of them orders, including the souvenir dessert. <laughs> I'm sorry, I still cannot wrap my head around that they're going to have that green beverage that Luke green milk, yeah. ugh, oh. harvested out of the giant sea cow. Kids are going to love it, James. Projectile vomiting begins in five, four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher, or it could open a Bantha and right inside of it what you'd like us to talk about next. For James, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.